Esha Chabra. Today's guest is the author of Working to Restore. She has written with a focus on global development, environment, and business for over a decade. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Economist, Guardian, Forbes, and more. She'll share insights about her work and her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Esha, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's so great to catch up with you. It's been way too long. It's a pleasure. It's really nice to see you again. Well, and uh, it's exciting. Of course, your new book is the trigger. Uh, When you reached out to tell me about your new book, I immediately wanted to have you on the show. Um, You know, you are someone who whose writing I have admired for forever. Um, You know, we've had some opportunities to cross paths over the years and uh, you're just brilliant. And so I'm thrilled to hear about your new book. So tell us about tell us about your book. It's very kind of you, Devin. Um, I'd be happy to tell you about my new book. It's been years in the making, like many things over the pandemic. And so I'm excited for it to see the light of day. But um, you may know this because you've covered this space for so long as well. There hasn't been a lot of journalistic um, writing about social entrepreneurs or mission-driven companies in a book. A lot of the books have been by academics or by entrepreneurs themselves. And I really wanted to write something that kind of gave a lay of the land. So you could see this is happening across industries. It's not specific to one industry or even really to one size of business. Um, And in addition, I wanted to write about solutions. Um, I feel like our anxiety around climate has only, you know, grown over the last few years. But when I started on this project around 2018, 2019, um, it was something that was really important to me. It was like, let's present some possible solutions. So whether you are a young college student, whether you're somebody already working or you're within a large corporate entity, you can use this book as Pick it up, read one chapter, read one case study of a business, put it down, revisit it later. Um, But it'll get you thinking as to how your business or your role in that business um, could drive some kind of environmental and social change. So in the book, we look at, there's nine chapters, and we look at food, fashion, travel, finance, the energy sector, supply chains. Um, It's really the gamut to show that this is happening across the world. And um, like I said, across industries. Well, these are all important topics. Uh, One of the challenges that we all have today is trying to distinguish between the corporate messaging around uh, climate, environment, other social initiatives, and the reality, right? Uh, There are companies that uh, exaggerate. There are companies that tout one good thing they're doing, maybe incessantly, maybe it's quite genuine without regard to the others. Like uh, it's been a decade, it's been what, 15 years now, but you know, BP was really genuinely one of the leaders among oil companies in looking at uh, more climate-friendly energy sources. And then they blew up the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, And in order to pay for that, they abandoned much of their uh, re- renewable energy projects. So, uh, how do you help? How can you help us figure out the fact from the fiction? 
I think that's such an important question. I'm glad that you just jumped to that because there's so much greenwashing going on and it's now beyond just oil and gas or renewable energy space, you know, that kind of um, topic. It's more broad. It's in CPG, it's in fashion, it's in all kinds of industries now. So in this book, I really looked at medium-sized companies. I stayed away from the big corporates and conglomerates. And the reason being, because as I've been doing this reporting for 10 years, I've met some really interesting entrepreneurs that I felt like they're so driven by their values and their mission that that is why they started the company. They didn't start the company for profit or they didn't start the company for global scale or to you know have this dominant brand. It was really to solve a problem. So I tried to identify people in the book that came from that place. And I think that's what's missing when you look at these corporate examples, right? You're not necessarily starting a company to solve a problem in a lot of those corporate cases. They have a legacy. They have a history that comes with them. And so for them, they have to actually pivot. So in the book, the companies are more so coming from a place of, okay, we want to design a sneaker in a way that nobody else has done. None of the high street brands have done. Let's try to do that with a nominal amount of income or, you know, funding, and let's see if we can scale that up in 10 years. So the examples you're going to find in this book are truly trying to break through their greenwashing. In fact, most of the entrepreneurs I talked to hated the word sustainability. They were like, oh, don't, don't talk to me about that. Um, they're more interested in transparency, traceability, um, really talking about very specific things with their business and if it's manufacturing something within their supply chain. So that's when we were kind of coming up, the publisher and I were coming up with the framework for this book. Um, we moved away from the word sustainability because one entrepreneur said to me, what are we sustaining, right? Like this broken system, let's you know, do something else. Let's bring about a change. And the word that kept really pinging me was restoring because we're restoring an imbalance. Like we've created an imbalance and now we have to restore that imbalance. And so with restorative comes this idea of regeneration, like giving life to something. So when you look at regenerative agriculture, it's about, you know, feeding the soil, giving life to the soil. So that's what I'm using, you know, to describe the overarch of this book is like it's a regenerative approach to business or a restorative approach to business. Um, I fear that there's always, you know, the risk that these buzzwords will get <laughs> confiscated and used, you know, wrongly. But um, I think we do need to move away from that sustainability mindset in general. That's a powerful, powerful point. I, I want to talk about a couple of your chapters that seem to me to be of particular importance, um, that we still are not really comfortable dealing with some of the challenges of what is commonly called diversity, equity, and inclusion. But as you talk about women in the workforce and inclusivity in your book, how do you think you know we can move toward best practices? Um, I think the challenge with inclusivity is that to tr truly do it means that it's going to be a long-term commitment. And what we see is sometimes we see these like short-term commitments, right? So there's an announcement to do something and it's really great and it's trending for that month or for six months. And then what's the long-term commitment? 
I think that's the general message that I've learned talking to these 30 plus companies and more, you know, in my reporting in general, is that if you really want to drive change of any kind, environmental, social, um, you really have to think about long-term long-term commitment to these causes. So for inclusivity in the book, there's a chapter devoted to women. And these are three companies that are thinking about how to include women that are you know, in industries that are not typically very inclusive of women, teaching them trades like how to make shoes, uh, for example, in South America. That's something that is a very small example of a fashion company perhaps doing. Um, it's not something they're screaming about from their rooftops. Also, if you look at Nisolo's website, it's not something that they're necessarily branding themselves around, but it's something that they're truly committed to. Um, and I think that shows that kind of long-term commitment, that they see this as something that's going to be a part of their DNA for many more years to come. We also look at inclusivity in supply chains. I mean, I think that's a fascinating topic. Um, there's a company, Falcon Coffee, in the UK that's a coffee trader. And uh, Conrad Britz, who started that company, came and first shared this idea of a collaborative supply chain because he just felt like, look, these are the people that are growing your food, you know, in this case, the coffee that you're consuming regularly. But are they really being treated fairly in the supply chain? Is, you know, a certification enough? Can we do more? How do we get them financing so that they can look after their farms? Um, so really asking much more deeper questions than just, we're going to put this up on a website or we're going to add somebody to our team kind of thing. Um, and this takes time. It takes, you know, dedication. And the answers are also not very black or white. You know, it's complicated. It's um, kind of interesting thinking about travel in 2023. Um you know, a few years ago, right before the pandemic, the there was this concept that emerged of uh, flight shame in Europe, right? Uh, and uh, because in Europe, it's relatively easy to hop on a train, and yet a lot of people were on planes. And so it was kind of a, a, a social push to get everybody to uh, travel on planes instead of planes. Um as you look at the industry and as you evaluated travel in the book, what what lessons did you pull from that to help us help guide our thinking on travel? I mean, this is something I thought about a lot because I have, you know, had to travel for my work over the years. I think the answer is not that we don't ever get on a plane again or we get on a plane with immense amount of guilt ever. Um, but in the chapter of travel, we don't look so much at aviation. In the intro, I talk about some of the innovations that are happening in aviation with you know, different fuel sources that can be used and different airlines are testing it out. I think that's honestly the most exciting part. If you really wanna talk about shifting travel, it's when the aviation industry is gonna be able to scale up some of these innovations. But what we can do is we can certainly support hospitality and travel companies that are you know, trying to be inclusive, support the local community, be more eco-friendly in their, in their operations, all of these things. And so I included three examples in that chapter that are kind of designed to hit different areas in travel and also different price points in travel. So there's a hotel, for example, in Southern England in Bournemouth, which is relatively affordable. You're looking at under $200 a night at the time when I was writing this. Um, that's a hotel that their operations, they really designed it from inside out, thinking about sustainability and environmental impact. 
it's not something that's beyond the reach of the average person. Um, there's another example, which is in the fjords in Norway. You know, this is an area that's just attacked by cruises and by tourists, especially come summer. So here's an option that's, again, very close in price point to the touristy hotels in the touristy town. And it's literally 10 minutes away but it's offering a very different kind of travel. It's a slower pace. It's a family run operation. You still get to see the fjords. In fact, you get to see the fjords in a much closer and much more intimate way. Um, and then the last example is probably the biggest deviation. This is the more pricey example. Um, in the conservation world, you know, travel is beginning to kind of really play a role. So if you do have that purchasing power and you do wanna go on a luxurious holiday, how do you support the local ecosystem? And so I look at the company Sangeetha, which is operating in parts of Africa around conservation, um, and they're doing beautiful work, but they're also really tapping into this more luxury consumer and luxury traveler. Um, so they're giving them the creature comforts, but they're saying, oh, but you could also learn about how poaching happens. You could also learn about how we tag certain animals to make sure that they stay safe. You could be a part of the solution while you're here as well. Um, but I think travel is a fascinating topic. In general, I just hope that the pandemic has made people think twice about especially work travel. I mean, that's the thing that you don't need to get on a flight for a one-day meeting unless it's absolutely imperative, right? So um, that kind of travel, I mean, I personally now when I travel and it's for pleasure, I really go and like try to spend a lot of time in that one place. And so that way, you know, you're just doing one long haul flight and then stay in an Airbnb, support a local person there if you can. If you're driving around, it's so easy, especially in Europe, I found to like get hybrids or more eco-friendly vehicles. So there's, you know, there are options there for sure if you want to cater your travel in that way. And also ask yourself if you're going as a tourist, like, do I need to see every site? You know how some people have like a checklist and they just want to like, is that really the way you want to travel? I mean, maybe you want to slow down and just enjoy one place or a few things rather than trying to do everything. So it's also a mindset, I would say. That's a great, great point. Great point. Well, uh, Asha, you have be, become really uh, a powerful voice in the impact space. And I'm grateful for all I've learned from you. Uh, what is your superpower? I think my superpower is um, tenacity. I think, um, I don't know if it's the product of being an immigrant, but I think you do just learn to just push through um, and in a compassionate, kind kind of way, not an aggressive kind of way, but um, I think you really do learn to just not take no that easily. I mean, it's it's not a roadblock always. Um, I, I feel like I've done that in my, what, 15 years now or so that I've been working since I graduated. And I think that's really helped me it also shape my career. I mean, you're, especially in, in journalism, you're going to get told no so many times and you just can't get knocked off by it. Um, so I think tenacity, I think tenacity in life in general is, is an important trait. Yeah, it it really is. And uh, as as you think about your experience, what do you see as a 
an example of a win you've achieved by employing your tenacity? Oh, I mean, I think one of the biggest things has been that I've been writing about solutions. Um, I met David Bornstein when I was a relatively, you know, naive college graduate, and uh, he kindly mentored me in my early years. And so, what he's been able to build with the national with the Solutions Journalism Network, I think, to be a part of that movement and to early on say you know what, there's enough negativity out there in the world. Let's talk about some of these solutions, whether it's in health or it's in environment or whatever it may be. Um, And to really stick to that and be able to carve out the kind of coverage for some of these organizations. Um, I know years later, I've heard from them and said, you know, they've told me, oh, thank you. I was able to scale my business because of that early coverage, or I was able to get support from an investor. And it really does help people. Um, so for me, that's something that really encourage, encourages me to still write. Um, sometimes like, you know, you get a pitch from a startup or a young entrepreneur and they barely have a business together, but you're like, you know what, this guy has a really interesting idea. Let me talk to him. And then, you know, five, six years later, they're working with some of the big wigs in the industry. So I think that that's been um, really one of the big successes, I would say. It makes it it makes you feel worthwhile what you're doing. You know, if I was writing every single day about glaciers melting, I think I would be slightly depressed. <laughs> uh, I'm reminded of a, a couple of women I had on the show uh, a decade ago nearly and and uh, th- their company went public a couple of years ago. So yeah, I mean it's it, it is fun to see those successes grow out yeah. of your work. And uh, so kudos, kudos to you on that. Now I Here's the hard question. Uh, The reality is tenacity is extremely difficult to achieve, to be, to learn. But at the same time, if we don't try, we don't achieve it. It's not just going to happen. We don't just become tenacious. Um, What are your tips? How would you coach someone to find and develop that inner tenacity that you've got? It's a good question. Can you teach tenacity to someone? Can you inculcate it? Um, I think you can to some degree. Um, My advice would be, first of all, have a really strong sense of self. Like, what do you want? Who are you as a person? And it's very easy to say, it's kind of cliche to say, but like, don't deviate from that you know, really stick to your guns in that way. Because then when people start firing things at you, like this is not right, or this is not ideal, you're not so affected by it. So I think start with a place of trying to have a strong sense of who you are. Um, After that, I would say that I would give you this example. I mean, we talk about sustainability, right? And every company right now is trying to figure out how to be sustainable. None of them have the answers. None of them are perfect. None of the companies in this book are perfect. They will tell you that too. So once you realize that that perfection doesn't exist, then I think some of that nervousness and anxiety around asking for things or pushing for ideas or, you know, starting a project, whatever it is, um, kind of goes to the wayside because you realize nobody really has the perfect answer or the perfect, you know, uh, setup for anything. It's really everybody's trying to work towards a betterment of whether it's their company or themselves. So I think just having that realization really helps you be far more free. Um, 
And the last thing, I mean, I've been saying this a lot lately. I find myself is like, why not? I mean, what, what is there to lose? Right? Like you might upset one person out of a hundred. It's okay. Like it'll be fine. So I think not to overthink things too much. Um, I, I feel like you have to understand that we're on this earth for a pretty finite amount of time. Right. So just go after it and, and not think too much about this. Um, nobody's going to care, frankly, after a while. <laughs> Great tips. Great tips. Well, Asha, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Before we wrap up, would you take a minute and tell people how they can get the book? Uh, as we are talking right now, it's available for pre-order, but by the time this airs, it will be available, available. So uh, tell people how they can find it now that it's available. Uh, tell people uh, how they can connect with you, follow you on social media, et cetera, so that people can uh, learn more from you, not just the book. Absolutely. So um, I have a website. It's my name, com. You can go to that website and find me. You can contact me through that. You can find all my socials through that. But the book is on every platform that sells a book in the U.S. So you can find it at Target, bookshop.org, Amazon, whatever, Barnes & Noble, your choice. Um, if you're in Europe or in the U.K., it's also available there. It's going to be available internationally. So if you go to my website, it'll take you to the Penguin Random House site and you will be able to get a copy for yourself. Fantastic. Well, Asha, we we are so grateful for you taking the time today and we wish you every success in the sale of your book because the more books you sell, the more influence you'll cause, the more people you'll excite and motivate to be part of this movement uh, towards solving the world's big problems, restoring uh, what's been lost. So thank you and we wish you all the best and all the success. Thanks, Evans. Thank you so much. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.